0: It is Monday, December 4th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore.
1: Today, the origin of a new music collective in Northwest Arkansas.
0: To know
2: that people wanted to hear our music, wanted to go out and see us, would pay to do that, but we couldn't even hang out after, you know, we couldn't experience that full thing, you know?
0: Plus, two MENA natives who put Arkansas on the
3: radio map. (laughs) He's a hillbilly, the first thing i ever seen. What is a hillbilly?
1: Him? Look here, Mom, I can show you. <laughs> Ain't that the country feller? <laughs> that's what I've always wanted to know. What is a hillbilly? And the confusing effort to establish a state song for Arkansas.
4: Governor Charles Brough, who later campaigned to call Arkansas the Wonder State, called it the most beautiful song he'd ever heard. Lost to history is the impetus to create a state song at all. First, the news from NPR.
0: Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season December 9th with two performances of its annual Christmas concert at Walton Arts Center. Performing a mix of holiday favorites under the baton of Maestro Paul Haas, musicians will also be joined on stage by the Sona singers and other guests. Tickets at 443 5600 or Sonamusic.org.
1: This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, December 4th, 2023. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm
0: Kyle Kellums. Uh because it's December 4th, I can tell you there are 27 days left in 2023. That's good math, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you. And that means it's time for the end of year fundraiser. That's you know, right. At KUAF. That's
1: right. It's a time of year where we ask you to think about all of the ways that you have taken advantage of, used this opportunity throughout the last 11 months and four days, mm-hmm. uh, to three and a half, I suppose, to really um, invest in and take stock in how much you rely on the programming and the uh, news that you get day in and day out from KUAF Public Radio. KUAF is a member station of NPR, and that means that we share the costs of NPR's international and national reporting so we can bring it to you. We think of it as an investment and one with a great return. KUAF is investing more than $230,000 in 2024 alone to bring you NPR news reporting and programs. And that doesn't include additional investments to bring you things like On the Media, Reveal, This American Life, and many other programs you hear on KUAF. So where will we come up with this money in the year ahead? That's a great question. The single largest source of KUAF's funding comes from listeners just like you. Listener support of KUAF translates into support for NPR and other programming outlets like WNYC, PRX, and others. Simply put, the public radio reporting that you and so many Americans and so many people in your listening community rely on is built on listener donations. That's why we're asking you to think about the gift that you make, and we're asking for your monthly gift before the end of this week. So now is the time to make a gift. Uh, Help us start off this this, uh, week of fundraising strong. You can do that now by giving at
0: supportkuaf.com. Tax-deductible end-of-year contributions will help keep us strong, as Matthew just said. And thank you very much. Later this hour, we hear an archive of archives. This spring, Randy Dixon from the Pryor Center Brought us the story of Lum and Abner, two two Mina residents whose program became one of the staples of the golden age of radio. We're going to hear that again later on today's show. Northwest Arkansas has become a major hub
1: with music venues like the Walmart Amp and Rogers or Ten Roof and George's Majestic Lounge lining up and down Dixon Street in Fayetteville. The restrictions of venues can't allow for everyone to enjoy the live music scene to its fullest at every show. That's where the NWA Collective comes in. The organization is a Northwest Arkansas-based record label and music collective, and it's a mute, it is a woman and teenage-led organization promoting bands and soloists under the age of 21. arts at Largest Victoria Hernandez brings us this report.
5: Milka hewlin Poznak is the president and owner of the NWA Collective. The organization focuses on artists that are in the age group of
2: high school and college
5: aged bands that are often overlooked in the industry.
2: It all kind of started um, with my own personal band, which um, is still around the Misdemeanors. So we started my junior year of high school, fall of 2021. I'm only a freshman now at the University of Arkansas. You know, I play guitar with them, and we kind of just formed in a very high school jam kind of way, you know, without really knowing what we were doing or having much experience at all. And through that, I kind of took on role as manager as well. Through various
5: roles in student groups, Milka had the networking experience to get the group gigs
2: her networking grew to be more than just booking. We started making connections with people that wanted to be photographers or designers or producers as well, kind of all within this like little high school community. Eventually, you know, some of us were kind of like this isn't really this is more than a band at this point, you know, it's it's a whole it's a whole community of lots of creative, you know, adjacent people. And so how can we make this more of an official thing? I kind of was like why not call it a record label and Even though it's not a record label in the traditional sense in that, you know, we're not like holding people's masters for ransom or like any kind of that kind of stuff. The whole point of it is is to be a supportive environment. You know, it's really more of a music collective.
5: The group noticed how difficult it was to book gigs in the area when they started seeking more professional experiences.
2: First of all, the lack of underage venues. I mean, I think that was the biggest thing we saw at first because. You know, we started out playing in my backyard. Um, My dad's a blues guitarist in the area. And so, you know, we have a lot of equipment and my mom's an artist as well. So both my parents are like totally supportive, you know. So we just started playing in my backyard, you know, having some friends over, you know, that, that kind of thing was easy. But once we were ready for, you know, a real professional kind of environment, we realized how difficult it was to A, be taken seriously as a, not just a young band, but all women, um, and then also to even have venues that legally allowed us to play.
5: Even when they were able to get into a venue to perform, they couldn't fully experience the scene.
2: You know, because, because we started making connections with other local bands, we were able to open for them and kind of get around the venue rules. Um, and we do the thing where, you know, we, we go in, we play, you know, we get stamps on our wrists, and immediately when we're done, we have to leave. You know, we couldn't, couldn't hang around the venue. And that kind of thing was pretty discouraging, you know, to know that, People wanted to hear our music, wanted to go out and see us, would pay to do that. But we couldn't even hang out after, you know, we couldn't experience that full thing, you know. And then to also only be able to play, even, even if there are people willing to come, only be able to play if another older band invited us, you know. And so with all of that, I was kind of like, wow, there's not really a young Space for people, you know, a, a, a third music space, uh, indie indie scene that's that's also you know professional enough that you could be you could really be um, you could really expand, you know.
5: The organization has grown as a management label and studio with two locations based in Fayetteville and Springdale. Services include recording, live equipment, show management, and community supporters for young musicians in the NWA music scene.
2: I'm a big. Um, believer in local creative organizations supporting each other, you know, North Arkansas is not a large enough area, not you know, a substantial enough area for us to be territorial, you know, with our with our events or with our projects. And so that's kind of this other aspect of the collective that I'm trying to figure out um, how to combat or address but is, is trying to link all of these separate, you know, production music organizations, you know.
5: As a first-year student at the University of Arkansas, Milka started there this fall to find more creative partners.
2: From what I found, it was, you know, Headliners, Hill Records, KXUA in a, in a more, like, promotional way, um, and university programs. And those are kind of the, the four, um, you know, music-adjacent organizations. And so... I started going to the, the main organizers in each of those spaces and talking to them. So Drew Bethel at um, Hill Records, talked tons with her. We have, you know, we're going to partner with a lot of our artists, um, that kind of thing. Caden um, is the UP um, music chair, you know, like all of that kind of stuff. And so um, Lydia Fletcher at KQA. Trying to be that kind of in-between, you know, not, not kind of taking up my own space, but kind of trying to support everybody and then, you know, organizing things that, that there's a lot of organizations that are a part of. So I don't know, that's kind of been my starting place is definitely on campus with all of those organizations. And then, you know, in addition to that, kind of in my own work, I have a lot of connections in the outside community as well.
5: Official community partners for the collective include Fayetteville's NWA Young Authors and Artists, a high school student-led creative organization that coordinates art exhibitions, poetry readings, theatrical performances, and other creative events by and for high school students. The Teen Action Support Center in Springdale, where the collective is able to use their recording studio and equipment in exchange for sound and industry workshops with the center's teens. And finally, the Fayetteville Folk School, where the NWA Collective hosts under-21 songwriting jam sessions, where young musicians can bring their instruments or voices or use those provided to the school every second Sunday of the month from 5 to 8 p.m.
2: Yeah. So those are the three um, current partnerships. And then I'm also now um, in the process of working with um, Ignite Professional Studios in Bentonville, which is basically juniors and seniors at Bentonville high school um, who are interested in production and audio engineering. They're going to be working on with us on most of the projects next semester um and then you know like i said hill records um you know i'm working a lot with them drew and i have you know talked um a lot through you know how how we can both support a lot of their artists you know um i would say there's kind of a lot of unofficial partnerships as well university programs you know i'm hoping to do things with them next semester um lots of ideas um as well but those are kind of you know the official where we have our spaces
5: the partnerships in those spaces help support the six talents that are currently part of the collective. With Milka, the Misdemeanors band consists of drummer Addison McArdle, bassist Aaron Funkhauser, keyboardist Brianna McCardle, and lead singer Jesse Morrison. The band's sound
6: is a blend of all kinds of genres. So whenever we play together, we all sort of um, have different ways that we're going about it. This is Jesse Morrison. And sometimes it sounds like we clash with each other a little bit, but then I also think it, it like creates this type of sound together that we couldn't ever replicate with anybody else. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard sound to describe. It's like, we're kind of going for like an indie pop sound, but, um, we never like set out to, to get that type of genre or anything. So it kind of differs from song to song, whether it's more like um, alternative or uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, A lot of our songs are kind of stripped, stripped down a little bit to like rock and roll basics. Um, But still with like an indie pop modern type feel. In addition to the misdemeanors,
5: Morrison performs as a solo artist through the collective. In her solo work, Jessie's sound is a blend of alternative and folk rock, but is still in the process of developing her own
6: unique sound. I think a lot of times I'm trying to aim for like kind of an Americana type feel, but also mixed with even more like sludgier type um, alternative rock just like a little bit heavier than what we do in our regular band but again i don't have musicians um, helping me right now so it's just going to take a while to like build um, what i want my solo stuff to like encompass i guess with the collective behind her Jessie is hoping to grow
5: not only her sound, but her opportunities as an artist.
6: I definitely have a goal of, like, using the collective to sort of advertise, to find more musicians to help me. Because um, a lot of times, when you're just a one person on their own, it's, like, hard to to get people to really be committed to something unless it's kind of set up for them a little bit beforehand. I think me having someone that helps me get gigs and like a lot of connections to those venues already, like really, really helps me with that. So I'm just sort of hoping that having the collective as in a whole, thing that can aid me along will be really beneficial in the future but then also one of my biggest things is I want to record stuff as soon as possible and so um through the collective there we have like studio opportunities for that so that's really really helpful and the thing I'm most excited for
5: in addition to the misdemeanors and Jesse Morrison the collective also includes Caroline Albertson, Liliana, Trinity Ashland and Liam Fast. Through the collective, the artists have been able to book gigs, such as performing at NWA Pride in June 2023 and the Clap Auditorium on Mount Sequoia, where Jessie performed November 10th. She says this performance was different from her normal shows, in part because the venue skews to an older audience. Which
6: I'm fine with that. So I, I sort of just played through my set and everyone was very nice and very generous so i'm grateful that they allowed me to play there and i made a connection so that's always good um it wasn't the most uh fun crazy gig ever but there's plenty of those in the future
5: Milka says the collective is shifting from focusing more on the promotion and performance opportunities of the artist to the production side of things in the new year.
2: There's a lot coming. We're kind of at the brink of um, an explosion of, you know, collective events and and, uh, projects coming next semester. Um, And, you know, there's just been a lot of preparation for that this semester, a lot of, you know, back of house stuff. You know, when it comes to finding information about uh, our shows, about our projects, about all the things, um, you can find us um, at thecollectiveNWA.com or um, at thecollectiveNWA on Instagram. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Victoria Hernandez.
1: Victoria Hernandez is the fall intern for Ozarks at Large. She produces her stories in the Bruce and Anne Applegate News Studio 2.
0: Ahead, we collect some Arkansas history. We'll share again a session with Randy Dixon from the Pryor Center, focusing on Lum and Abner. And Stephen Cook navigates the history of establishing a state song.
4: If any melody is, the Arkansas Traveler melody is probably most identified with the state. But in its original form, it was more comedy routine than song, with jokes told between the fiddle riffs. It was a well-known stage routine into the 20th century.
0: Brand new Arkansas songs, later on today's... Ozarks at Large. Kyle,
1: one of the things I love about what we do here at Ozarks at Large is we we have a lot of partnerships. We have a lot of friends who are involved in helping us bring the show to our community day in and day out. We've got uh, partnerships with uh, Randy Dixon at the Prior Center. We've got Stephen Cook with Arkansongs. And it's really this combination of people coming together day in and day out to help us make this show possible for all of the listeners that we do. And I really feel like that's kind of the ethos of what we do, not just at Ozarks at large, but
0: public radio in general as well. It's the public radio model, right? Bringing people together. And in 2024, I know a commitment at Ozarks at large and KUAF is to continue to do what public radio has done for decades, and that is help people come together and help them come together to make sense of the world. That's the commitment that's pretty much always got in our work and which remains central to our mission as a public radio station. The one factor, more than any other, that enables KUAF to be a constant in our community, grassroots support of listeners like you, contributing at supportkuaf.com. Voluntary donations from our listeners make up the largest, and that's, you know, the gap between first and second is large. Yes, (laughs) Voluntary donations from you making up the largest and most reliable source of our funding. That's why at this end of year we're asking for your contribution. As the year is drawing to a close, we're asking for you to make it an ongoing monthly contribution. It's the best thing you can do to give KUAF a solid, reliable future. You can start your monthly gift today so that KUAF can continue to be available for our entire community in 2024. You can give $12 a month, $15 a month. You best know what you can afford. But what seems like a small amount right now over the course of a year will do so much. You can set up your monthly support, just like my wife and I do, right now at supportkuaf.com. And thank you.
7: This month's Short Talks from the Hill features Mervin Jebaraj. As director of the Center for Business and Economic Research in the Sam Walton College of Business, Jebaraj leads a team of researchers who provide applied economic and business research to federal, state, and local government and to businesses in Arkansas. In the podcast, Jebaraj discusses inflation, consumer sentiment, and economic growth in Northwest Arkansas. The Center recently released the Northwest Arkansas Region Report, an analysis of the northwest Arkansas economy. Jabiraj explained what goes into the making of this report.
1: When we compared ourselves to the first set, uh, we were a lot better. So we let's like make this a little harder and try regional comparisons that are bigger than us. Think of Tulsa or Kansas City or Omaha, which is a little further away than those two uh, metro regions. But they're larger metro areas, have a lot more people, a lot more businesses and so on. So we wanted to compare ourselves to the larger metro areas that were near us. Again, we were outperforming them, you know, not in terms of size, but in terms of growth.
7: You can listen to Barrage wherever you get your podcasts or by going to arkansasresearch.uark.edu, the home of research and economic development news at the University of Arkansas.
1: Carroll County Quorum Court has rejected a moratorium to temporarily block construction of a proposed $300 million private industrial wind facility in eastern Carroll County called Nimbus. Scout Clean Energy is the Colorado-based developer behind the project. They secured sufficient energy easements from private property owners south of Green Forest to install dozens of wind turbines and towers encompassing 9,000 ridgetop acres. Caroline Rogers is the co-founder of Stop Wind Farms in Arkansas. She says a minority of county JPs voted for a moratorium to research potential environmental and social impacts.
8: Some of the J.P.'s investigation and research into the wind turbine dangers and the damages, the opposition, they concluded that our karst terrain and our average low of about seven miles per hour wind speed and our population area determined that this is not the optimal location for 43 turbines that would be standing 650 foot tall on a ridge obstructing our views, our sunsets, and our stars.
0: Rogers says the Carroll County Quorum Court is also failing to comply with a comprehensive county land use ordinance designed to protect limestone, water wells, spring stream, wildlife and forests. She says she's gathered 1,400 signatures from citizens who oppose Nimbus.
8: We were very disappointed that the county judge limited public comment time to only three speakers from each side. The scout rep talked for over 10 minutes and I came up with 30 challenges, but I could not say anything. This just shows me that the the court outcome proves that we need a town hall meeting immediately.
1: Scout Clean Energy will have to comply with U.S. Fish and Wildlife as well as National Environmental Policy Act regulations to build Nimbus, provided the company is able to locate a non-utility power purchaser. They claim the project will generate 180 megawatts of renewable electricity, enough to power 30,000 homes, as well as $14 million in private land lease payments and $25 million in county tax revenue over the life of the facility.
3: He's a hillbilly, the first
1: thing I ever seen. What is a hillbilly?
3: Him? Look here, Mom.
0: I can show you.
9: <laughs> ain't that the country fella? <laughs> well, that's what
0: I've always wanted to know. What is a hillbilly? Well, I ain't
4: never seen one.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. It's time to go through some Pryor Center archives with Randy Dixon once again. Randy, what did we just hear?
3: Well, uh, that was Lum and Abner. And in their day, uh, they were one of the top-rated uh, radio comedies on the air. And
0: this is, when you say in their day, their day was when radio was king.
3: Right. Golden age.
0: Tens of millions of people would listen to the most popular radio shows yeah. at night.
3: Yeah, pre-television. We're talking right. the 30s. Right. Um, they started in 1931, and they were on until 1954, the mid-50s. When the golden so age
0: of radio was dying quickly. Right,
3: right. But, I mean, they, they had a go. They're both from Arkansas. They grew up in the Mena area, same age. Uh, Chet Locke. Was Lum Mm -hmm. and Norris Goff was Abner, and they went to here the University of Arkansas, and they got a little kind of a routine going.
0: Right, they were entertainers here when they were in Fayetteville.
3: Right before Martin and Lewis or Cheech and Chong or you know uh, the comedy teams that you that you know of over the years, they took their material from where they grew up uh, around the Mena area and especially a town called waters Mm -hmm. but we'll get to that in a minute so uh after their big careers they even made some movies i was
0: gonna say they transferred over to some movies which while not classics
3: did well at the box office right they They were
0: household names right
3: they made seven of them yeah but chet lock retired to hot springs and well Here in the 60s, when he was retired, KATV caught up with him and he was just driving around and they they put a camera in the car with him. Well, it was actually on the spur of the moment.
9: Uh, My partner Norris Goff and I were both living in Mena, Arkansas, and we had established a sort of a local reputation as blackface comedians. And we were invited to appear on radio station in hot springs kths but on our way over we decided maybe we better not do blackface because amos and andy had started the two black crows were very popular there were two or three other teams like honey boy and sassafras molasses in january so we decided to do two rural characters small town characters and just as we went on the air, the announcer said, well, now, what's the name of your act? And we said, well, we hadn't thought about that. And I said, well, I'll be Lum Edwards, and, and my partner said, I'll be Abner Peabody. So the announcer said, we'll now have a visit with Lum Edwards and Abner
3: Peabody. Well, they were talking about blackface, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing back then it was fairly common and they didn't do it because it would be offensive, or they. Right. Yeah, they did it because too many other people were doing it. Because
0: African Americans
3: were not being employed in the entertainment industry. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So that's where we started in Hot Springs. So after a few shows, I mean, just a few shows, they were picked up by NBC Network. And that was in 1931. So let's listen to a little of one of their programs so you can kind of get him an, I- an idea of what they did. And now as we look in on the little community of Pine Ridge, we find Lum in the Jot'em Down store blocking Abner's path to
0: the
4: door. Listen.
9: Now, wait a minute, Abner. Where do you think you're going?
3: Lum, I've got to mail this letter for Ed Stoddard.
9: Now, just why would Ed Stoddard want you to mail a letter for him? He's the postmaster.
3: Well, not for a while, he ain't. See, this letter is to the post office department, telling them to send out a, a substitute for to take his place.
9: Why? What's wrong with Ed?
3: Well, you know how absent-minded he's been getting here late. Oh,
9: I know it. I know it. Just the other day, I seen him sauntering along in the rain, holding his hand out in front of him like he's carrying an umbrella. He told me later he didn't realize he'd forgot it till the rain stopped and he reached up to close it. <laughs>
0: Now, they were off the air by the time I was growing up, but a lot of stations... Well, me too. Yes, that's true. That's true. A lot of radio stations in Arkansas would still play their 15-minute shows uh, at some point in the day. And so I grew up listening to Lum and Abner on some AM stations in Arkansas, though they were reruns by that time.
3: Well, they did have a resurgence. Yeah. Um, But... In that last clip, you heard about the Jotum Down store. Mm -hmm. Well, that's based on an actual store, Dick Huddleston's General Store, which was in the town of Waters. And that's where, you know, everyone would hang out. And this is where he came up with the name. Here's Chetlock again.
9: The old Jotam Down store sat right down here, but it burned out a couple of years ago. It's been rebuilt, but... It looks rather modern now. That was the only real name that we used on our show. And uh, he became rather famous because of that. I, ex- I expect there'd been a million visitors in this little store here just to see the locale of the Lemon Avenue show.
3: So Pine Ridge. Well, it yeah. Yeah. It was a fictional town. Right. But... There was this, this is how popular the show was. It, let me put it like this. I had read that in one week they received one and a half million fan letters. Mm. That's so they, they were one of the tops. Yes. Anyway, it was so popular that everyone wanted to know where Pine Ridge was. So the town of Waters decided to change its name. And in 1936, they had a big ceremony at the state capitol and they changed their, their name to Pine Ridge. We're trying to think of a name of a town
9: that uh, would depict this section of the country. We always had this area in mind. And of course, you, as you see, there are lots of pine trees in here and lots of hills and ridges. So it was sort of a natural conclusion, Pine Ridge. It was originally Waters, Arkansas, but because we used the name Dick Huddleston as one of our characters, uh, and he lived in Waters, uh, they were anxious to capitalize on the publicity that we were giving the mythical town of Pine Ridge, so they officially
0: changed the name of the town. So Waters has changed its name to Pine Ridge and you mentioned that Chetlock was available for interviews a lot by KATV, but KATV loved doing stories about Lemon Abner.
3: Oh yeah, they would go over to that part of the state mm-hmm. the Washington Right and go to the store that had now mm-hmm. cashed in and become the jotem down store. Um, in Pine Ridge and so KTV talked to a few of the residents who had years before been diehard fans of the show.
9: We we always listened every afternoon that's when our program come on there and if I had anything to do I, do, I would get it done before the, the program started and I didn't want no disturbance if I was fixing my evening meal I got my meal fixed before I started in, before the program come on, and finished it up because I wanted to hear the whole thing. I didn't want no disturbance from anywhere. had an old uh, battery radio set, and we would save that battery every day to get that they were on to get the and Abner Show, and we just thought there's nothing like it, you know. And we'd leave our work, our chickens, or our hogs, what we had out on the farm to feed, until we got the program, before we would go tend to our chores even. And, uh, of course, I knew the boys personally, and so did my husband, and we just thought it was wonderful.
3: So another thing I found in the archives, Chet Locke actually did some work for KATV. He uh, Well, one of the things he did, you know, in the McClellan-Kerr lock and dam system, they they started opening the dams. And there would be a ceremony for every one of them. I think there were 17. But KATV did a program, a 90-minute documentary from both sides, both states, the Arkansas and Oklahoma. And so Ben Combs, who was the program director at the time, got Chet Locke. To narrate the Arkansas side and the Oklahoma side, he got Will Rogers Jr. Oh, wow. But here's Ben talking about the project. So in 1968,
4: I was the public affairs director, KTV, and I decided that we needed to do a documentary about the Arkansas River because it was about to become navigable. But I called Chet and I said, would you be willing to narrate the Arkansas portion of this 90-minute documentary that we're going to play at the dedication and that we're going to play it on KTV for the television audience? And he said, I would love to.
9: Will Rogers once jokingly said that it would be cheaper to pave the Arkansas than to make it navigable. And the figure does come out to about $2,700,000 per river mile. As chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee and sort of in charge of our purse strings, how do you justify this $1,200,000,000 expenditure? This type of a program cannot be done by private uh, enterprise. It must be done by government. And uh, the only way government can do it, of course, is to use the tax revenues that are taken from individuals to carry it out.
0: You also heard in there um, Congressman Wilbur Mills.
3: Yes. Uh, he was the, the person uh, Chet Locke interviewed mm-hmm. there at the end. And at the time, of course, he was chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee and the most powerful, one of the most powerful right. men in Washington. Also in the 60s. Uh, a Hot Springs radio station, you were talking about reruns. Mm-hmm. They started a resurgence of the Lum and Abner show. And here's a report uh, from KTV's Ben Hogan about that. From
8: the observation tower here in Hot Springs, you can see where one of the most successful radio shows of all time began some 37 years ago. Lum and Abner, a comedy team utilizing the rural humor of country folk, became well-known figures in households all across the country. After 20 years of being off the air, the old tapes are being revived here in Hot Springs with a great deal of success. Chester Locke, better known as Lum, makes his home here in the Spa City today.
9: Well, I'm very pleased about it being revived. It's the first time I've ever been able to listen to the show. Personally, uh, I never could get home in time when we were performing. And I have hopes that this might spread to other sections of the country. I think it's significant that we revived it here in Hot Springs where the program originated in the very beginning, 1931.
8: Do you think that this revival of Lum and Abner might be a, a starting place for the revival of some of the other great golden era radio shows?
9: Well, I think so. Uh, judging from the response to uh, the few weeks that it's been on locally here in Hot Springs, uh, it, indicates that other programs would be similarly received.
8: Some soon, the Lum and Abner programs, which millions of Americans enjoyed, may be back on the air all over Arkansas. Their success may mark a revival of the golden age of radio. This is Ben Hogan, KTV News in Hot Springs. And now back to B.J. Sams in Little Rock.
0: I think as recently as, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago up here, Kerm 790 AM was still playing. I think in the morning. Wow. Uh, some, and I'll tell you, I would listen occasionally. I couldn't understand a lot of what was being said. They had those thick, really kind of put upon character accents. Well, and the
3: quality of the recording exactly. wasn't very exactly. good, which exactly. didn't help. Right, right. But you're right. I went through a lot of. I mean, you you can pick them up. You know, on YouTube, Mm -hmm. uh, a bunch of the episodes, they're just... Especially the later years. later years... Right. Because they
0: would record them and rerun them on the West Coast. But I...
3: Yeah, I found some as early as 1935, though. None earlier than that. So, I'm guessing the first few years are, you know, gone. Right. Much like a lot of... Sure. uh, Television, especially. They would record over the videotapes. Yeah, the first...
0: Few seasons of the Johnny Carson show are lost because they didn't think it was valuable enough to keep them.
3: That's right, that's right. Uh, one more thing is there. There's still a Pine Ridge. It's between, I guess you'd say, Mount uh, Ida mm-hmm. and Mina. Mm-hmm. You better Google Map it.
0: Beautiful country, but uh, remote.
3: Yes, yeah. Yes, there there are some signs though. But I've been there, and it's uh the general store and a little museum next door mm-hmm. but they have a lot of memorabilia and you you can get souvenirs and things there
0: now for years and I don't know if it's still happening this might be something that the pan, that was not doing so well in the pandemic may have finished it off there used to be Lemon Abner Days in Mena and these started as these these couple of guys who were just aficionado's they had discovered you know the reruns of Lum and Abner, uh-huh. and were fans of Golden Age of Radio. And there would be a weekend in uh, MENA, which would attract old-time radio fans from everywhere. And they, For a long time, they'd try to get someone that was associated with the Lum and Abner show, but then that was harder to do. But they would get veterans of the Golden Age of Radio, sometimes the children, you know. How uh, did uh, you go? I went one year. And uh, you know who I interviewed that year was Fred Foy, who was the announcer for The Lone Ranger. Oh, wow. And he was there— He and I had a great conversation about the end of the golden age of radio, but he made a transition. He became, um, oh gosh, I'm going to have to look this up, but he became the sort of Ed McMahon for maybe Dick Cavett or Joey Bishop, but he kind of made the transition over to television. Not Uh, all of them did. Not long. No, but I mean, he was still alive in the 90s. Yeah? Yeah. I'll have to find that interview.
3: Wow. Well, uh, shall we close out mm-hmm. like they did back in the that's day? Right. All right. Well, what? See you next week.
0: Uh, and this, we're going to close out. This is from 1935. Yes, that's the earliest thing I okay. found. And it's brought to us by Horlicks
10: Malted Milk Tablets.
0: Randy Dixon is with the <laughs> David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Thank you, Randy.
10: Thank you. These nourishing, energy giving tablets are an excellent means of helping children ward off fatigue and hunger when playing or at school. The delicious candy-like flavor is one that children love, and they will gladly take a supply of tablets to school with them. Horlick's malted milk tablets can be easily carried in a coat pocket or purse. And that's why they are such handy things to take along on shopping expeditions, on motor and hunting trips. A few tablets dissolved in the mouth when you begin to feel tired or hungry will pep you up, satisfy your hunger. When you're at your work, Horlick's tablets will keep you going at top speed on days when you can't get out to eat on time. Horlick's malted milk tablets can be purchased in both natural or chocolate flavors. They come in handy pocket-sized flasks for 10 cents, which can be readily refilled from the larger sizes. This is Carlton Brickert speaking for Lum and Abner and Horlick's, who bid you all good night and good health.
0: I really want to do an Ozarks at Large like an old radio show before. That's a great idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, have someone here to do live organ music. Mm. Get to work on that, okay, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'll be part of my
1: 2024 there you go. Uh, project. Uh, well, speaking of 2024, we are on the brink of 2024 coming. And as we're thinking about the year ahead, uh, it's also a great opportunity to think about our past listening habits and how we intend to... Uh, think about our listening habits in the future. And a great way to do that is to think about the way that you have invested in KUAF Public Radio, your public radio station. As a listener to KUAF, you understand the value of independent news and information to make your decisions about your day and help you understand the world and what's happening in it. Knowledge is valuable and worth paying for. Our contributing listeners make it possible for KUAF to bring you all the programs that keep you so well-informed. Listener support is the largest share of our funding, and now that you know how important listener support is to KUAF, how about taking an opportunity to make your first contribution? I know Kyle that a lot of times January can kind of get you know lumped in with uh, it's time to start something new. Uh huh. Maybe December is an opportunity to and do that. Did you wake ahead. up on January first and you've already done your to do stuff? You have you you are already a month ahead, right? On your monthly. To dos uh, for the year twenty twenty four. That's a that's a uh, I'm, I'm going to trademark that. Do that. Um, so now is an opportunity to do that. You can get a head start on becoming a regular contributing listener. If you're someone who relies on the programming here at KUAF day in and day out, and you have not become a contributing listener yet, you can start twenty twenty four off right by starting your contributions right now in December of twenty twenty three. You can make that gift and support KUAF. Com.
0: And thank you. The Razorback volleyball team will face a familiar opponent in the NCAA Tournament's Sweet 16 later this week, Kentucky. Arkansas won first and second round matches this weekend in Fayetteville. Thursday's match against Kentucky will be the third time the Razorbacks have faced the Wildcats this season. Kentucky won both of those previous matches. Thursday's match will take place in Lincoln, Nebraska at 3 30 and will be televised by ESPNU. It's the first trip to the NCAA Sweet 16 for Razorback volleyball in 25 years. The Razorback women's basketball team couldn't make it two upsets in a row yesterday. After defeating number no. 15 Florida State late last week, Arkansas lost to number no. two UCLA 88 61 yesterday in Fayetteville. Up next, Louisiana Tech in Bud Walton Thursday night. The Razorback men's basketball team hosts Furman tonight in Bud Walton. Tonight's game is the first-ever meeting between the Razorbacks and the Paladins. Razorback runner Karami Ego now holds the second-best 5,000-meter time in program history. The Kenyan native ran the 5,000 in just over 13 minutes and 24 seconds at a meet in Boston Saturday. He missed setting the Razorback record by just four hundredths of a second. And the Northwest Arkansas Naturals will premiere a new logo and other promotional images later this week. The team says the items with the new logo will also be on sale later this week. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, a
1: new project in Springdale aims to make art more accessible by bringing it to the neighborhood. So we sit on the edge of a very working class community. And the way that art institutions historically work is not thinking through who your neighbor is. What are, the, what are the labors they encounter? What is the art that they need in their life? As opposed to what your curational vision is. As tomorrow on Ozarks at Large.
4: From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas Songs. I
1: am thinking tonight of the
4: Southland. Some states in the U.S. have easily identifiable well-known state songs. For Arkansas, it's complicated. For decades, the state existed without an official song. But an act by the Arkansas legislature made Eva Ware Barnett's song Arkansas official in 1917. It was sung by a quartet to legislators as they made their decision. The resolution noted it was already recognized by most schools as the state song. Governor Charles Brough, who later campaigned to call Arkansas the Wonder State, called it the most beautiful song he'd ever heard. Lost to history is the impetus to create a state song at all. At the time, only a few U.S. states had it. It is thought that the battleship USS Arkansas, commissioned in late 1912, may have played a factor. The ship's commander had even written Barnett, telling her how much the ship's crew loved singing her song.
1: Arkansas!
4: But the Arkansas Legislature didn't secure the song's copyright. Years passed without incident until a longtime Secretary of State, Krip Hall, distributed a pamphlet statewide featuring the song, as well as Hall's name, just before an election year. Barnett sued the state for damages to her sheet music sales. Although no judgment was issued against the state, both parties girded for further battle. In 1943, Governor Homer Atkins created a commission to study a new state song. ¶¶ A decade after the initial ownership dispute with Eva Ware Barnett, and 30 years after the song Arkansas had been named official state song, Arkansas Traveler by Sandy Faulkner was put forth as a replacement. Heard here is Eck Robertson doing the song, recorded in 1922. Born in Delaney, Arkansas, Robertson is credited with making the first ever country music recordings, including Arkansas Traveler. Heard next is Michelle Shocked doing the song 70 years later for her album of the same name with Jimmy Driftwood and former Eagle Bernie Ledding, recorded in Mountain View, Arkansas.
3: Hey, Farmer, you've been living here all your life?
10: Not yet.
4: If any melody is, the Arkansas Traveler melody is probably most identified with the state. But in its original form, it was more comedy routine than song, with jokes told between the fiddle riffs. It was a well-known stage routine into the 20th century. A committee was assigned to write new official lyrics. No individual has ever claimed credit. From the late 1940s to the early 1960s, Arkansas Traveler, with its new lyrics, served as official state song. But apparently was never officially adopted as state song. Eva Ware Barnett and the state made peace in 1963, and she assigned the copyright to the state. Arkansas was again made official state song. That is, if it ever legally wasn't. Hey,
3: farmer, how do you get to Little Rock? Listen, stranger you can't get there from here.
4: A resolution claimed Arkansas traveler was not conducive to the development of love, respect, and patriotism for our beloved state while Barnett's Arkansas was considered more clearly descriptive of its attractions, traditions, and loyalties. However, official or not, few school children or battleship crews have been known to sing Barnett's song.
9: Arkansas waltz, we'll waltz tonight Beneath the Ozark moon so bright I'll waltz with you And hold you tight this lovely night.
4: In the early 1970s, Arkansas Waltz by Cletus Slim Jones and Bill Erfer asked the musical question, does the state need an official waltz? A Senate resolution said yes, but Arkansas Waltz was not considered by the House.
9: Arkansas Waltz, we'll waltz tonight beneath the Ozark moon so bright. I'll waltz with you and hold you tight. This lovely night
4: In the mid-1980s, another song, also called Arkansas, was put forth as a new state song in the House, but the motion was withdrawn.
0: It's the spirit of the mountains and the spirit of the Delta. It's the spirit of the Capitol door.
4: After the state of Arkansas celebrated its 150th birthday in 1986, the Arkansas legislature again stepped into the state song Breach and also did some housekeeping. Eva Ware Barnett's song Arkansas was named official state anthem. The quasi-official Arkansas traveler was declared state historical song. And, incredibly, two more songs were included in the mix. Oh, Arkansas, by Little Rock musician Terry Rose and Gary Claff, heard here, was added to the pantheon of state songs. October morning In the Ozark The other late 1980s addition to the suddenly crowded state song Field was Arkansas You Run Deep in Me by Wayland Holyfield, who wrote the song on commission for the Arkansas Power & Light Corporation. Known for writing songs for the likes of George Strait and Randy Travis, Conway County native Holyfield attended Little Rocks Hall High. Of all the songs he wrote, Holyfield said this song was his favorite. For years, Arkansas You Run Deep in Me was the nightly sign-off song for Arkansas Public Television. In 2021, Holyfield gave the song's rights to ACF, the Arkansas Community Foundation, a Little Rock nonprofit.
10: Oh, I'm a wonder-
4: The final official state song word would seem, again, to have gone to Eva Ware Barnett, with the 1987 state law clarifying that the Secretary of State shall respond to requests for the state song with copies of her song, Arkansas. However, in the Internet age, all state songs are available at the Secretary of State's website. As for future changes in the surprisingly volatile official state song beat, we'll be listening. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook. With Arkansas. songs,
0: and this is ninety one point three KUAF. This is the end of year fundraising week at ninety one point three KUAF.
1: That's right. This is a time where uh, you can take stock in the the way that you depend and rely on the programming here at KUAF, and uh, and and take a chance to make a gift that matches. That investment for yourself, whether it's intellectually, whether it's just a good time to to listen to some great programming like Fresh Air and uh, Pick'em Post. However you listen to and take in
0: uh, KUAF, I hope you'll make a gift that matches that uh, investment. You got Netflix, you're paying a fee. Hulu, paying a fee. Washington Post, New York Times, Arkansas Democrat Gazette, paying a fee. Subscribe to the Oxford American Magazine, paying a fee, which we get because that's how you – Make sure creators and and people who work for those services get paid. However, KUAF is different. You decide whether you want to contribute money to help pay for the programs you love. And when you do decide to give, you choose how much and how often. It's the fairest system around. And it works because enough listeners do decide to give. You don't have to... Go through the rigmarole of trying to get your cousin's uncle to send you the password (laughs) for Hulu. When you add all this up together, it's enough to keep KUAF not just going, but thriving. To keep KUAF strong. Your gift, your gift does make a difference. During our year-end campaign here in one of the last weeks of 2023, please consider giving online at supportkuaf.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, Giving a little every month, you can do that as well at supportkuaf.com. It's a tax-deductible gift today as we approach 2024. And thank you, everyone, who's contributed for so many years.
1: Yeah, you can make that gift right now at supportkuaf.com. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville, produced in the Carver Center for Public Radio. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of of Arkansas.
0: Contributors today included Victoria Hernandez, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Matthew produced the show in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2.
1: Kyle, we had our, our final story from from Vic. Yeah. Uh, it was really wonderful to have her this semester. Um, we, we wish her nothing but the best. It's been really fun to see the kind of creativity she's brought to the show. So thank you, Vic, for all the work you've done this
0: semester. We really appreciate it. We will miss you. And, um, you know, stay in touch. Absolutely. All right, from KUAF, I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. The Ozark Society is a regional conservation organization known for saving the Buffalo National River from being dammed. Members across the state who love rivers and wild lands hike, volunteer, and work toward a common goal of keeping the natural state natural. Information on memberships at ozarksociety.net.